turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. You ever felt like you're just, you know, trying to do God's work and live for His glory and you're going through the daily routine of whatever your job is, your career, or, or you're working in the home and, and you know, you're just doing life. And the world has a natural way of depleting us and making us just feel empty. And especially that part of the world that is always in conflict with us or we're in conflict with it. And so it's good to just pray and ask the Lord to refresh us in the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit can be a daily prayer request, especially as we exist in a world with so much negativity. Today, Pastor Gary will acknowledge the challenges that come with the world we live in, but explain how the power of the Holy Spirit can equip us to represent Christ in it. The Lord wants to empower us every day through His Spirit. Do you feel weighed down by the challenges and stresses of this world? Ask the Lord to fill you with His Holy Spirit and watch Him transform your weary heart. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Acts chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. There is only one name by which we must be saved, and that name is what? It's Jesus. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Now, Jesus said it. I wrote these verses down for you. John 14, 6, that's where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He made an exclusive claim about himself. I'm the way. He didn't say I'm a way. I'm one path among many. I am the way. Now, I get it. I get this. You go around saying that Jesus is the only way to be saved. People will mock you. They will say that's insulting. Who do you think you are to make such an exclusive claim? People will tell you that. If you haven't already heard it, then you're not going around saying it. People will tell you this. Now, it's interesting to me how people will be quick to say to you, that, that offends me. For you to be so exclusive to say there's only one way to be saved. You know, let's be open-minded and let's, and let's just accept a lot of different ideas and a lot of different paths. People are willing to accept that there's only one way if it suits them. Let me illustrate it. I guarantee you that if there was a discovery tomorrow, a pill that cured all cancer, no one would ask, are there other options? No one. Every single person who had cancer would rush to get that one pill and they wouldn't question it. Because why? They see their need and they see the way. 
that that need can be met. The only reason why someone finds that the exclusive claims of Christ are narrow-minded and bigoted is because they have not understood their need, and therefore they do not accept the way. Until someone gets to the bottom of their own sinful human condition, they will never see their need for Christ. But folks, that's no reason for us to stop proclaiming the one way. I'm just thankful that he made the way. All right? How ridiculous would it be? You remember back, I think it was like 2010, when those the Chilean miners ended up 2,000 feet stuck down mining below the ground. Remember that? And, and, and they were there for like 60-some days. 60-some days, 2,000 feet below ground. All right, now, guarantee you this conversation did not happen. Guarantee you what I'm about to say. So they finally, after 60-some days, bore a hole down 2,000 feet to rescue 33 Chilean miners who were down in the ground there. And they had almost run out of food. They had rationed like a few days of food to help to survive for all those days. Okay, And then and then they finally bore through and they put the camera down. And then eventually they send like this, this kind of a can all the way down for the, that a human being can get inside. And then they lift each one up and rescue them. Guarantee you that when they bored through 2,000 feet of ground, not a single Chilean looked up that hole and said, do you know something? I don't know about this. I'm kind of offended. Is there any other ways? No! Of course they didn't ask, is there another ways to this? you know something? No! They took the one way out with joy. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when people look at you and say, you know what? That's so narrow-minded. No, it's not. It's just because you don't understand the need. Because if you understood the need, like the Chilean miners, they understood. We have a great need to be rescued. Oh, they made a way for us. We're going to take this way. No questions asked. And we're going to take it as quickly as we can. Because they understood their need. They understood their condition. They understood their desperation. The only reason why people will say to you that that is narrow-minded and bigoted for you to say that Jesus is the only way. They don't understand their own desperate condition. It is not narrow-minded. It is a free gift to all who would believe and receive. That's what John 1.12 says. It's another verse I put up there for you. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Okay? It's very inclusive. Yet to all who believed and received. It's not limited. The, the exclusivity is in the claim. But it's very inclusive. It's for all. So whoever wants to believe and receive. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. All right? So it's a very inclusive invitation. Revelation twenty two seventeen, One of the, nearly the last verse of the entire Bible. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. So when Peter makes this claim here. Yeah, it is exclusive. It's an exclusive claim. But it has an inclusive aim for as many as would believe and receive. All right? Don't shy away from telling people the truth. Even though you know that their reaction at first might be kind of off-putting. You know, they're like, you know, who do you think you are? Because if you really believe and understand the desperate condition of the human heart, we will be motivated to share the love of Jesus, even though at first some people may not accept it or receive it, until they recognize their own desperate heart and their own desperate condition, don't stop telling people the good news of Jesus. Be exclusive in the claim, but 
The Bible is wide open to as many as believe and receive. So the invitation is to all. Verse 13, back in our, back in our text here, Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, I love this verse, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What kind of people does God use? Don't you love the way he said that, that, that it says here, when they saw the courage, okay, it can also be translated boldness of Peter and John, and realized that they were what? Unschooled, ordinary men. They were just average people. You know, don't take this to the extreme and think, well, God only wants, you know, plain, stupid people. There's nothing wrong with a formal education. You know, get a formal education. But, you know, when you look at some of the people that God used here, including not only those that you read in the Bible often, but people like Charles Spurgeon and uh, Hudson Taylor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, D.L. Moody, those were unschooled, ordinary people that God used in wonderful ways in, in the course of, of the church history. But you also see people in the Bible. Moses was educated. Uh, Daniel was educated. Paul was educated. There's nothing wrong with formal education. Get, get some education. But here's the deal. What the word is telling us here is that, you know, God is not looking for a pedigree. He's not looking for who's the most polished, who's the most professional, who is the most educated. You know, it, he's looking for people who just are vessels that are teachable and surrendered for him to use. I can tell you from personal experience, when I first started Cornerstone, I started hiring people. I usually hired for the resume. I got to confess. And it was a mistake because the people that I looked at in terms of resume were often not the best fit. You know, ideally, it is, it is someone who has skills and heart, but I'll take heart over skill any day of the week because skill can be, lo- can be learned. Skill can be acquired, but heart, that's a soul issue, and that's what he's really saying here. The Sanhedrin took note that they had been with Jesus. These were unschooled, ordinary guys, but you know what stood out? These guys had been with Jesus. They could see the heart of these guys, that they were surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. That's what made them vessels to be used. They were unschooled. These guys were just fishermen. These were common people. And God used them because God loves to do extraordinary things through ordinary people. And sometimes when we're so full of ourselves, then we rob God of the glory because it's all about us. I love the way that God just takes ordinary people to do his extraordinary work because in doing that, then he gets the glory. And so nothing fancy about Peter and John, but what was unique about them is that they could tell these men had been with Jesus. Verse 14, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, that's the reference that I referred to earlier, there was nothing they could say. You know, because they had the the miracle right in front of them, so they couldn't dispute that. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. Verse 16 says, what are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. You might want to ask yourself, why are they so ticked off here? Why aren't they excited that this guy's been crippled from, life, from, the, from birth is now healed? Why aren't they rejoicing in the miracle? 
The answer is because the Sanhedrin realizes that if people start following Jesus, they won't follow them. This is a personal thing for them. They have too much ego in the game. And they're worried about who won't follow them anymore. And we're going to lose our following. And people won't like us. we got to get over that. It's not about us. It never is about us. And so they're trying to figure out, what should we do? You know, because this is obviously a, a genuine miracle. And Peter and John are pretty popular. A few thousand people just got saved. We're not sure what we can do. So verse 18, then they called them in again and commanded them, Not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. That is a great response. You know, the Sanhedrin comes back and like, you don't do this again. I mean, that's the best they could do. You stop talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And Peter and John say to them, hey, judge for yourselves. You know, who, who, who are we more responsible to obeying, God or you? And we need to understand this as well because obedience to God trumps obedience to man every time. Whenever you're in a situation where you're being asked to do something that compromises the integrity of what you know to be right according to God's word, don't follow authority. That's the only exception to disrespecting or disobeying authority. Every other time, we need to obey and respect authority even when it's not convenient. But when it's directly opposed to what we know is right according to the standard of God, civil disobedience, there are examples of it in Scripture. And what they're saying here is, we can't obey you more than we have to obey God. And God has told us to proclaim the good news. Jesus gave us the mandate to go throughout the world, the Great Commission. We can't remain silent. So thank you very much, but we have to say what we have seen and heard. Verse 21, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Well, keep reading verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And here's the prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. And they quote here from Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So that's their prayer. And some believe that that the upper room of Acts chapter 2 has now been taken over as a regular place where they fellowship and meet. We don't know for sure, but this might be where Peter and John go back. So they gather with the believers there in Jerusalem, and they tell them everything that just happened and how they were overnight in prison, hauled before the Sanhedrin, and gave them their answer. And then the the, the church here, the early church, those who were gathered here, 
they, they start to pray. They quote scripture. The scripture verse looks a little strange, you know, why the nations rage and the people's plot against you in vain. But, but the context is, Lord, there's been a lot of people historically that have plotted against you and it's been in vain. And so that's how they're applying it. They're, they're like, they're like, you know, now, now people are opposing us because we're just trying to do your work. We're trying to live for your glory. And, and people plotted against you in vain in days gone by. And people are working against you today. And may it also be in vain. And then they pray, embolden us. May we speak your word boldly. Let us not be afraid. Let us not shrink back. We want to be used by you. We want to be for your glory. And so they pray this prayer. Now look what happens. Verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now wait a minute. I thought they were all filled with the Spirit back in chapter 2. They were. It tells us they were filled in the Spirit in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, it says they were all filled with the Spirit, and they spoke in tongues. Now here, chapter 4, they're all filled with the Spirit, and spoke the Word of God boldly, a direct answer to their prayer. For those of you taking notes, jot it down. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event. In the words of D.L. Moody, because I leak. That's what he said. And it is good for us to remember that. We live in a world where sometimes we're going to run out of gas. You ever felt like you're just, you know, trying to do God's work and live for his glory and you're going through the daily routine of whatever your job is, your career, or, or you're working in the home and, and, you know, you're just doing life. And the world has a natural way of depleting us and making us just feel empty. And especially that part of the world that is always in conflict with us or we're in conflict with it. And so it's good to just pray and ask the Lord to refresh us in the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 verse 4 says they were filled with the Spirit. Acts 4 verse 31 right here says they were filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5 18 says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. NIV says, which leads to debauchery. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the grammar in the Greek is be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a continuous action. We need the ongoing filling of the Spirit of God. So, you know, don't think that it was, it, it's just restricted to a one-time moment. But the Spirit of God can be poured out on multiple occasions as we need that filling and overflowing work of God's Spirit. And so he, he comes and fills them again here, and then it says, and they spoke the Word of God boldly. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but I bet, I bet many hands would go up if I were to ask you, you know, would you, would you like the help of the Lord to, to be more bold in your witness? I mean, all of us, all of us probably have prayed that at some point, Lord, help, help to make me bold. Because, you know, Satan loves nothing more for, than for us to just feel ashamed and embarrassed about the greatest gift given to mankind. And, and so we recoil. And, and we're embarrassed, and we don't know what to say. We don't know how to say it, and we're afraid we're going to you know, trip on our words and all this other kind of stuff. And, and, and what will the person think that I'm sharing with you? Know? And, and again, you know what it usually comes down to is we're more, we're more afraid about whether people will like us than we are about their eternal soul. That's usually what it comes down to. When you really boil it down, that's really what it comes down to. I'm more afraid about what the person will think of me than I am about their eternal soul. And so may God make us bold. And may he fill us afresh with his Holy Spirit. Let's finish out this chapter. Verse 32. 
all the believers were one in heart and mind. That just speaks to unity. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. I I don't know if Bernie Sanders has a Bible, but I bet that's underlined in his Bible. (laughs) Now, let me just clarify, okay? This is not socialism here. This verse is not encouraging socialism. Sell sell everything, communal property, bring it all together, just disperse it. To, to everybody so that everybody's equal. That's not what it's saying here. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. You have to understand, first century, these are all Jews right now, and, until chapter 10 when Gentiles start to get saved. And, and everybody who is a Jew, and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Messiah, you have now been shunned by the Jewish community, and you've lost your business. Many, many people have lost their families. They've been shunned by their families, by their households. So you're destitute now. What did they do? They pooled their resources for survival's sake. This is not socialism, this is survivalism. And you never see this repeated as a pattern in the New Testament again. That's what you have to always look for. When you see something in the Bible, don't think that it's necessarily indicating a pattern. It's sometimes indicating a principle. The principle here is these people would be destitute if not for the fact that they pooled their resources and helped each other through a very difficult time. And, but it expresses their, their generosity Notice the character of what's going on here. They were selfless. They saw other people in need. We can, we can learn from this principle. We don't, this doesn't have to become socialism for us to practice similar things like this. One of the things I love is the fact how they said in, in verse 30, it says in verse 32, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. I mean, how many of us need to learn that lesson? Our stuff is not our stuff. It's on loan from God. Everything we have belongs to God and is from God. And if, and if you have acquired what you have, it's only because he's given you the talent, the talent and the ability to produce wealth to acquire those things. Everything is from his hand. He owns a cattle on a thousand hill. Everything is mine, says the Lord. And so therefore, we have to be good stewards of it. We're just to be good managers of it. So everything that he's entrusted to our hands, and he's going to entrust more to those who are able to handle more, and to that degree, we need to be generous with the more that he's given us. So we can at least take that away from this. Nothing we have is ours. It all belongs to the Lord. We're supposed to manage it and use it for his kingdom and bless others. I think we should have eyes for people who have need. Lord, give us eyes for people who have need around us. That we can be selfless in what you've given us, Lord, to bless other people. To take care of other people in need. It doesn't mean level the playing field financially so that everybody's the same. That's, that becomes socialism. Everybody pools things together, but that's not what it's saying here. But nevertheless, we should look at people, recognize needs around us, do what we can to be generous, recognizing it's not mine anyway. I just want to be a vessel that the Lord uses. And then last couple of verses, verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And we're introduced to Barnabas, who becomes a major uh, pl- player in the book of Acts. We'll talk about him more in the chapters to come. But let's, let's just pause there and pray for tonight. And how many of you would join me in just praying for more boldness? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, 
We thank you for dying for us, and and we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the reminder that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by, by which we must be saved, and that name is Jesus. That's all for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. What are some things you've taken away from the messages here in Acts? Would you let us know? You can get in touch with us by sending an email to prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. While you're sharing what you've learned, feel free to send us a prayer request so we can know how to be praying for our listeners. That email again is prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Our radio ministry is an outpouring of what's going on here at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary teaches every Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. We also meet at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. To learn more about who we are, go to cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're so happy that you're part of our listening audience, and we'd be delighted to meet you and hear your faith journey. Like so many of the people mentioned in Acts, there's much transformation that happens in a person's heart when they seek to follow after God. We hope that's the case for you, too. All that to say, we hope you'll continue to tune in to these messages and keep growing as you dig into the book of Acts with us. We'll be right here, same time, same place, at Cornerstone Connection. No place to go But still you know